chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one, each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. Every word of God is perfect. Let his people bless his holy name. Have you ever uh, seen one of those home renovation shows and they go into one of those beautiful, old homes, just wonderful architecture. Then you get to the kitchen, and mistakes were made. And, and it's usually this, the, the, this one problem. Uh, you begin to pry up this laminate, horrible, yellowed um, vinyl flooring. And you can go layer by layer. You've probably done this in, in homes, and you can tell the story. And there's the, there's the 80s um, yellow vinyl flooring, and you pry that up to, to uh, see the beautiful avocado 70s vinyl laminate flooring, and you kind of go layer by layer and finally find that someone had put on top of uh, 1920s quarter sawn oak wood flooring all these horrific layers of terrible vinyl floor. Um, Not only was it tacky and trendy, but it's a quality that wouldn't last. Uh, It's a massive shame to build on a foundation of such beauty and worth and skill and time with things that are ugly and valueless. It, it's the same way with the Corinthians, in a sense. Paul has come in to say, I have laid a foundation of Jesus Christ. And you need to be really careful, now that you're in a building stage, of the types of things that you might want to put on top of this foundation. 
because the letters I've been receiving, it doesn't look like you're making good choices. Looks like some of you have avocado laminate in your hand. And in this particular letter, Paul comes with his pry bar, wanting to take up some things that they've begun to lay down on the floor. It's a particularly important message to a church plant, some, some body that's saying, what is it that we are doing here? a pretty pertinent question, right? Especially as I come in, I'm new here with you. What are we doing here? And what are we building here? Paul helps us, I think, in this text by uh, kind of three key distinctions. If you like this sort of thing for following along, we'll look at three things. He, he is feeding them with milk, not solid food. That's what he wants to do is mature them, but he's having to feed them with milk, not solid food. We'll look at that. The second being that he planted, sure, and Apollos is watered, but that it's only God that gives the growth. And then the last thing is, are we a church? Were the Corinthians a church that was worthy of its foundation? Types of things they were building on, was it worthy of the foundation? First thing being that he had to feed them with milk, not solid food. Uh, Look at the text one more time. I, brothers, uh, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. As we read last week, Paul uh, began to describe people who think in the ways of the world and in the wisdom of the world. He categorized them by calling them natural people. It's kind of two different kinds of people. There are spiritual people and natural people. And the natural man is opposed to the wisdom that comes from God. The type of thing that comes from God, Paul used language to say it seems silly to the natural man. It seems even maybe stupid. Um, It's where we get the word Moriah, foolish, moronic, or just simply um, non-intellectual. The natural man isn't merely someone who can't understand the cross. We saw this in the last few weeks intellectually, but he has rather this blindness to the cross because he sees it morally as weak and ugly or even repulsive. They are people who navigate through the world under the guiding principles of the flesh and not the spirit. Okay, That's the fleshly, natural person. Like just whatever it is that's guiding them through life, the principles that they navigate by are not the things of God, but the things of man. And so the Corinthians have said, oh, oh that seems nice. Those things got us through life. Okay, well, now that we are Christians, we will just add that framework of navigation to our lives in the church. And we will build the church Oh, sure, we're Christians, but we'll use the methods and means that are most familiar to us. And Paul says, stop. You cannot do it. Do not go beyond your foundation. They were to instead mature and to grow in holiness, to be even more dependent on God, not less dependent as they grew. They would be transformed by the renewing of their minds and not to remain shallow and weak Christians, a weak church, and a worldly church. 
right? So here's the example of this that he gives in verse 4. Here's the vinyl laminate flooring that they have laid on their particular situation. Verse 4, 3 through 4 says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In this per- verse, Paul highlights the old human and natural way of thinking. There was jealousy and strife and division in the congregation as to who can- whose camp they belonged to. Are we Apollos followers or Paul followers? He's bringing this argument back up that we saw in chapter 1. They had a united Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had the unity of the church <clears throat> and now have chosen a path that would be prudent if they divided into camps following particular theologians or leaders, producing greed and envy and jealousy, deciding that this is how we'll navigate through the world. This is how we'll navigate now that we're in the church. This can't be so. Paul here does call them brothers. He sort of affirms this uh, in them that there's a... Brothers, you are Christians. He's not saying when I had to address you as infants, that you are non-Christians. He's saying, what's going on? The, the types of things I'm hearing from you ought not to be so. You simply aren't looking and acting as Christians, which is going to result in the church not building well, but your testimony to the world will look the same. I have to deal with you, he says, as people of the flesh. There is a real danger in an infantile Christianity. This is a huge difference between someone being childish and childlike. Childish and childlike. Childish Christians uh, glad to accept the gospel. It's pretty beneficial. It cleanses us of our guilt and sin, and it's a good deal. But Christians are not permitted to stop there and cease to grow. We must mortify the flesh, take every thought captive, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, and in short, an authenticating sign of our real Christianity is our growth, our ability to move beyond just drinking milk, right? Just that perpetual cycle of sermons that sometimes a pastor has to teach because the congregation just kind of slips back into it. No, we need to see fruit and uh, branches that are holding onto the vine and abiding and flourishing and growing and fortifying. And what that would probably produce is not a more independent people like the Corinthians are becoming. We want to separate ourselves and stand on our own theology or our own camps, our own likes, but a more dependent people. A people marked by prayer. If you're an independent person, you likely are not a person of prayer. Healthy Christians grow more dependent. We want more of the word of God. We want more time in prayer. We want more time in fellowship. We seek out more accountability. We want more boasting to go to Christ. I want less of the flesh, to be honest. That's a great sign of Christian. Just want, I want less of the flesh on me. I, I, I don't want more fighting and, and striving with brothers. I want less of that. I want much more peace in my life. Paul writes to the Galatians something very similar. He, similarly, he says in verse 3 of chapter 3, Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, 
are you now perfected by the flesh? You see what he's saying there? It's a great work of grace. We would affirm that, being great, you know, proper reformed Christians. This work started by a work of grace in the Spirit, but now our, you know, sort of standing can come through the flesh. And we begin to navigate the Christian life through the philosophy of men or the wisdom of the age. He says, no, don't graduate beyond the cross. Don't graduate. Instead, be a childlike Christian, someone who um, isn't growing, like I said, in self-sufficiency, but rather someone who is humbly becoming more and more childlike in their dependence on their father. And like Paul, just we're not going to be a better theologian than Paul. We should find ourselves echoing, my boast is in Christ. I come here to know nothing among you but Christ crucified. That is where my boast is at. So the first thing being, he had to feed them with milk and not solid food. Not solid food. Second thing, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Again, when we're reminded about the specific divisions among the Corinthians, whoever Chloe's people were from chapter 1, they were reporting to Paul that the Corinthians were fawning over their leaders and that factions had broken out among them. It was the Paul faction, the Apollos faction, the Peter faction, and then the, the most probably un- insufferable ones were that we, we just follow Christ. But Paul makes the point here not by saying, who is Paul and who is Apollos? He says, what is Paul? What's a Paul? What's an Apollos? We are not evaluating ourselves and our credentials he says, I am a tool. I am a servant in this congregation. I am here as a, uh, a deacon to serve you in the name of Christ. And if you find that Christ has become insufficient for you, brothers, we've got problems. This can manifest itself in, in me a lot. I love books. I love theology. I want more of that, and I find it, just even a small symptom, not again to get into law and grace that we talked about in Sunday school, but I can find that what I want in a morning's uh, quiet time is just some time with some good theology books and not the Word of God. Kind of continuing to buffer my knowledge and tools at my disposal as a pastor that I might could use or drop into conversation or maybe even with good intention to be helpful and find that my prayer life grows colder and my love for the word is secondary to my love of the things of the church i want a dependence on christ i want to be a good theologian which means that i should want christ and know christ and love christ and it can be a very very subtle critique we'll see it again in just a minute but even the chapter to the churches in early in revelation saying you've lost your first love You lost your first love. Paul made the plate. Apollos topped off the drinks. 
but the entire meal was Christ. And they had lost focus on that. I planted, sure, Apollos watered, but this is God's garden. And he's the one who's building you. He's the one who's flourishing you. He's the one who's truly planted you. He's the one giving growth to you and salvation to you, life to you. It's all about God. There's no under name under heaven, certainly not Paul's, by which we must be saved. And to the Corinthians and to us, he will prune his garden, throwing out branches that do not bear fruit because he loves us. And he will not allow us to worship at an altar of idols and himself, even if you're in the church. You do not get to worship at the throne of Apollos and at Christ. It's only one. To look away from Christ and it attempts to graduate or advance through associations is to lay another layer of vinyl flooring. The Great Reformation doctrine of Solus Christus is helpful here. Um, when the church would see a dependence on priests or saints or Mary and, and how horrific to think that Christ's arm was too short to save, that we begun to think that we needed the merits of others to give us peace with God or intercession with God. It is Christ's supremacy over all things, over popes and priests and saints and preachers, Catholic or Protestant. It's Christ above all. And the church can have no other foundation and in its task of building cannot build on top of a foundation that is Christ with anything unworthy of the foundation particularly important for us as a plant. Luther had a theological distinction that, that he would make. I, it's very strange. I went to put my hands in my pocket. This rope has one pocket. Um, he would distinguish between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. And he would say that there is a There is a way to do theology where it is about glory, man's glory, man's standing, man's merit, man's uh, uh, relation to saints, man's stability. And yet it looks away, it is deficient from what he would call the theology of the cross. And putting back in front of our face, just like Paul does, this blunt instrument that the Bible calls a tripping hazard. Rightfully so. Even to the proud, it makes us trip up and remember that we do not graduate beyond the cross. It is the dying Savior. It is not the method of the world, but it is the very method that is powerful. In other words, we can feel in the church, let's, let's now that we know the gospel, let's polish it up and let's present it in a manner and in methods that sort of validate us. Let's move away from the foolishness of it and the darkness of it and the humility of it 
and begin to teach a theology of glory. And Luther said, that's wrong. We need to have a theology of the cross. That is where the church belongs. It is our foundation, and it is the building blocks with which we build the church. And out of the Reformation, you know, came one of the five solos of Solus Christus. The last thing we're going to look at is what does it mean to be a church worthy of its foundation? He says a couple things in the text if you want to look through it. Um, verses 10 through 15. Actually, let me, let me read it. It'll be where we spend the bulk of the rest of our time. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. Someone else is coming to build upon it. But let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We must be worthy of the foundation. We must take care how we build upon it. Listen to how Paul speaks to the Colossians on what it is he is doing. Okay, this is trying to make the point from Scripture and let it speak more clearly than I will. Let him tell us. What does it look like to build upon that foundation? Colossians 1.28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. He's getting right into the same sort of wisdom and authority debate he's doing with the Corinthians. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Not milk, eating solid food, maturing, growing. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and all these at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face that their heart may be encouraged, being knit together in love, okay? Not divisions and quarrels to reach all the riches of the full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, which is in Christ and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge away from man's wisdom. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That, that's what it looks like. It's a maturity. It's a growth. It's a unity. It's a health. It's a rejoicing in Christ. It's a mortification of the flesh. It's a growing in the wisdom of God, navigating not in the ways of the world anymore, but navigating life completely differently through the power of the Spirit and the wisdom of the Spirit. And he mentions another congregation in that text, how he's pouring over and laboring to build not only the Colossians, but those in Laodicea. Here's a quote from Revelation 3. Let's check in on the Laodiceans and see what happened. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How are they building on the foundation which Paul set? 
For I say, for you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's easy. Even churches who had the preaching of an apostle to grow lukewarm. And the specific charge was to say we've grown rich and self-sufficient. In like manner to the Ephesians in Revelation, he said that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. There are two dynamics here that I want us to pay attention to. What are we building upon this foundation and what is the reward for our labor? Paul uses the imagery of of building materials. He, He sort of moves away from the agricultural metaphor of the garden and the planting and the watering and moves over to an architectural uh, set of imagery. And he says that he had laid, like a skilled master builder, I set the foundation of Christ before you. That's what was laid for the Corinthians. Whatever they need to attach as they mature and grow, better be worthy of that foundation. It better be worthy of it. A day of judgment is going to come, and there are materials that will not hold up. You can build here, Corinthians, in gold and silver and precious gems, so when fire comes, right, the the day of the Lord is what he speaks of, the refining fire of a holy God, And it will be found to withstand the holiness of God and show itself to be refined and beautiful and structurally sound. And there are those materials that you can build on this church made of wood and hay and stubble. And brothers, it's not going to last. It reminds us of Jesus' story about those who build their foundation on the words of the Lord. Those who obey the words of the Lord is like a man. The man who trusts in the words of the Lord is like a man who went and built his house on a rock. And when the rains came and the storm came, the house stood the test because it was built on the words of God. But there is an ability to labor. You can build your church. You can put materials down and you can spend year after year after year laying materials down that will not last. And you know what's another thing? You can buy cheap materials and build a pretty big church. Pretty popular church. Church that people are delighted to come to because it traffics in the wisdom that they're used to and has removed the uncomfortable theology of the cross. Traffics in man's ways and in man's wisdom. And you can surround yourself with personalities and lights and sounds and music or philosophy, buildings and budgets. But you have to be a church worthy of its foundation. The question primarily as we build covenant of grace, like the Corinthians, is not what do we like about this church. 
but does this church please God? Not does this church please me, but does this church please God? And it's our one standard to be worthy of the foundation. Cannot graduate beyond Christ. He calls us to follow him, and we must build as he built. And how, how did he build? What was his life like? What did he show the disciples? He was devoted to prayer, devoted to pursuing the broken and the lost, completely glorifying his Father at all times, declaring the cross, calling his disciples to take up their own cross. And if all, in all of our ways, in everything that we do and build, <clears throat> we acknowledge him. This brings us to Paul's last comment on rewards, which is always an interesting dynamic in the text. Personally, I maybe like many of you, I tend to think of, well, the rewards are sort of individual, and in heaven I, I, I might have some set of rewards, but that instantly brings up, like, am I going to have more than other people, and are they people going to be closer to God than me, and, and what is that about? I'm, there might not be jealousy and sin there, but, but what is that? Let me suggest in this context something that I had never seen before that, that's a bit eye-opening. Talking about the structure of building and as a minister and, and who these ministers are and the, the responsibility that they have to build on this foundation. I think Paul gives us another clue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, he says, this way. He says it this way, For what is our hope? And joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at the day of his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. I take it to mean that part of the reward of Paul's labor is the Corinthians. Uh, Verses 12 through 13 in our text from today says, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The reward is a congregation that withstood the day of judgment. He goes on to say that some of you, though you will be saved by fire, you'll suffer loss. Well, what kind of loss could we have in heaven? I think if that's the clue he's giving us in this text, a great loss it would be to labor and to think that we are giving our lives over and building on the foundation of the cross and to one day look around and say, where are the Corinthians? They're not here. It is to be careful on what we are building. It is to be careful on what we hold our leaders accountable to building. The work we are laboring for is not just individual reward, it's people. It's eternal souls. And our reward, at least in part, will be to rejoice in heaven with them. Let's close this way. What, what might it look for us to build well? So if we say, okay, I get it. This principle makes sense to me. Let's build well. Let's build on it with 
things that will last, gold, silver, precious stones. Let's not build with wood, hay, and stubble. I could give examples and things that I, I would think to build on, but Paul says it so beautifully and concisely to the Colossians. Listen to this. He says, okay, congregation, you're going to build well? Here you go. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule. It's a really important word as he contrasts the rule with the Corinthians' form of rule. Opposed to a worldly rule. Let Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. By the mercies of God, let us be a church worthy of its foundation, careful to build on the wisdom of God, not of man, Strong by the strength that he supplies, and not our own. And preaching the cross, and observing, by doing so, its power. Our power comes from the cross.